Hey, Tyler. Hey, Jason. How are you? I am. Uh, I am feeling lighter. Uh, I think nice. you're the first hum- human to see me sit after the uh, great beard shearing of freshly, of freshly shorn. Yeah. yeah. So you just like set it on one and shave the whole the whole head. I, actu- I actually just set it on fire. Yeah. You know, just let it go. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> but actually, I feel like there's more than one person that have that has seen me freshly shorn. Oh yeah, the, there is. The, the, we have. Uh, there's there's we've we've decided to exponentially up the pastoral power in the room yes and so we've invited uh the wonderful reverend uh carissa howe to join us so hey carissa how you doing i'm doing all right i have not freshly shorn my beard nor have i set it on fire lately that's though, true so I you feel a little left out. <laughs> <laughs> look a little shaggy <laughs> so yeah. uh, <laughs> uh so the question i have for today is one that i think is is pertinent to this is an interesting dichotomy. So imagine a world, a reality, where, so this is like a death match. We have to decide which is, I don't think that we're deciding which one we want to lose, but which is of greater difference to the world. If there was no Walt Disney, so all Disney movies, all Disney parks, everything, everything Walt Disney and then that came out of Walt Disney is gone from our culture, or William Shakespeare. Wow. Yeah. This is like, this is off the top of the head. This is kind of like what we were talking about with Mover Scott, that like if you trace every musical influence back, you will eventually find the Beatles. Yep. Yep. I feel like if you take Shakespeare out of the equation, you're going to take Disney out of the equation too. Uh, I don't know. You take them all the way out, but you take, you definitely change it. So obviously there's, when you dig down deep enough, uh, this is going to be difficult. But it's on the on the somewhat surface level, so on the two inch deep level, yeah. Which do you think would have a greater change? And therefore, I, I guess, I mean, which would you rather lose? I love me a good Disney movie, but I also yeah. despise Disney World. So, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm considering that in this as well. That I could totally live in a world that did not have Disney World. So un, uh, uh, dig into that a little bit. Enter, why, enter why do you despise? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so, well, and so, I am, I, I am eternally grateful that you are here because I, <laughs> my co-host on this podcast is a Disney apologist. <laughs> and I have a funny, oh, I have a funny feeling we, I'm going to line up a little closer to, to your worldview on the parks. So w- w- generally people have strong feelings about Disney because of experience, uh, especially to, to love Disney movies, but hate Disney world. That's, a, that's an interesting pairing. Why is that? Yeah. Uh, well, it's crowded and it's in Orlando, which is awful. And <laughs> uh, and I have family in Orlando. Apologies, so I'm apologies fre- to fans in, in Florida. <laughs> I'm frequently on those Pittsburgh to Orlando flights that are full of people going to Orlando oh, yeah. for Disney World, which is yeah, that that does stink. The world's worst flight, maybe next yeah. to flying into Tel Aviv. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so there's that, and it's just it as my husband calls it, it's canned fun. Mm. Yeah, expensive so, but, canned fun. Ex- yeah, that's expe- true. No, seriously, you can go do so many have, awesome places for what it costs. So, to go are to there? World. Do you have any? What are your feelings to like amusement parks in general? Uh, I love them. I love Universal Studios. I go there every time I visit my wow. sister. Wow. Interesting. So, what is the difference between Universal and, and Disney? Uh, I don't. That is a great question. The DeLorean it, is at 
Universal, and it's not, not anymore. Disney. Not anymore. And sometimes Has, it was the last time I was there, and oh, no, uh, they took they 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 have the Simpsons ride there now. It's been for like five years. Yeah, but they had like the actual DeLorean. Oh, was okay, the, gotcha, was gotcha, there? Gotcha. Yeah. So, and the Simpsons ride is amazing, by the way. The Simpsons ride is pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Have, yeah. But I'm with you though. I would not get rid of the Disney movies. I would. Well, in the hypothetical, I think Disney has to go, but I love me a good Disney movie. Yeah, we don't get the Lion King for sure without Shakespeare. Correct. Because that is that that's effectively uh, Macbeth or Hamlet or Hamlet. There's a lot of yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but I I would say, as much as I love the Disney movies, I think you got to save Shakespeare because so Shakespeare sets the basic paradigm for most of our drama. Um, and even if you're someone who doesn't appreciate Shakespeare, there's so much Shakespearean stuff in our culture that we don't even understand. Uh, that it, it really is it's the bones underneath everything let me push it actually i had a, a a different question on that what one musical artist could have been eliminated from the timeline and have the biggest impact on the rest of music i mean is it the beatles is mm. it mozart is, is it, it elvis is it elvis is it all the black people that Elvis stole music from? Oh, that's <laughs> actually an even better one. Fair <laughs> point. Wow, that's a hard one. I think it's uh, Mandy Moore. That would be my final uh, answer. You, you win. <laughs> I was going to go with Avril Lavigne, but, you know. <laughs> uh, life without Skater Boy. I can't imagine. I don't want to live in that world. No. Where there's, where there's no Skater Boy. <laughs> I can't do it. My fashion derives entirely from Avril Lavigne. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's got to be Mozart. I mean, I don't know the the two years I spent as a music ed major. It, it's back to the Shakespeare thing. His fingerprints are on everything, mm-hmm. um, and he was a stinking genius on a level that like totally crazy. Um, yeah, Mozart's everywhere. It'd be, it'd be interesting to to I was thinking that at first too, but then like I don't know as much about classical music and where things are put. Like I know Beethoven is slightly after Mozart, but Bach is before. And so like what taking Mozart out of that definitely has an impact, but to what a classical person would either be like, yes, it would destroy everything or be like, actually the world was kind of Mozart was an exception to things. Mozart was David Bowie. Like what life without David Bowie would be really hard, but David Bowie kind of did his own thing. Yeah. And uh, you wouldn't really have Prince without David Bowie, but you would still have the Beatles and you'd still have everybody that came from the Beatles, stuff like that. I'm actually going to go a little more pragmatic in my answer to this question and wonder who is it that first started writing down music on a staff as we know it today? Because Mm. that definitely changed the way we share music and the way that we perform music. And so, I mean, that would be... That yeah, so the Gutenberg my, uh, route, basically. Yeah. Like we remember Gutenberg because he made the printing press, not because he wrote anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Mm. I like that. You can go back to Pythagoras too. No Pythagoras, no music. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that Donald Duck cartoon. Do you know do you know that Donald Duck cartoon? No. It's the best thing ever. Oh man, Donald in Mathematic Land talks about Pythagoras and, and how he did music <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. Oh man, I highly recommend go on YouTube right now and watch Donald in Math Magic Land. This it's episode so of Roughing the Pastor brought to you by the Walt Disney Corporation. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler's obsession with Disney. <laughs> in all of my free time, I'm going to go look up that Donald Duck cartoon. <laughs> it's great. It's like 20 minutes long. It's awesome. Super great. Perfect. Yeah. It's You're super, a I, 
You're it's a pastor in quarantine. You've got nothing but free time, so my congregation keeps telling me. <laughs> I, that's, that's what I hear. Yeah. 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 If you don't, pre- if you're not having worship every week, then what do you do? Yeah. You basically part time. Not even. Not even close. Yeah. It's anyway. Just a little side gig. I legitimately had a kid in our youth group. Uh, Carissa correctly noted my Zoom background in my house is a bright red wall, and one of the kids in my youth group was like, "Wait a minute, you don't live at the church?" I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this. I do like that we've been continuing our trend that only one of us is in the office when we record. Yeah. Because sometimes be I'll, re- I'll record from home and you'll record from the, your church. And this week I'm at my church and you're at your home. Yeah. I think we've, we've be- I'm not sure that we've intersected uh, both being at home or both being at the church. Social yeah. distancing now. That's true. Anyway, so I'm Tyler. I'm Jay. I'm Carissa. And this, and this is, is Roughing, Roughing the Pastor. The Pastor. So, our guest today is the wonderful Reverend uh, Carissa Howe. Carissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today. Carissa, tell us uh, about, tell us real quick where you are, what you do, and how you got there. Those are some really existential questions. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean any of that. None of that is literally. (laughs) What kind of tree are you? Yeah. uh, If I were a fish in a river... (laughs) If you're a fish, what would you say? Um, yeah. So I am located geographically in Pittsburgh. I serve two small Presbyterian Church USA congregations who are working in partnership with one another. Uh, we're not calling it yoked, but it is shared ministry. And I've been doing that for a little over three years now in that particular call. And it has um, been really life-giving. There's such a great group. Um, I sort of stumbled across it by accident because it was a full-time position close to my home. (laughs) And uh, it just worked out beautifully, um, beautifully. Um, Am I supposed to answer the chat questions or are you asking them to me? We'll we'll ask them to you. Okay. I'm ready for them. I wrote down answers. Oh, how long have you been a pastor and what did you do before that? Uh, I did many things before becoming a pastor, actually. Um, So I have been an ordained uh, minister in the PCUSA for um, about five and a half or six years now. And uh, before that, I worked in youth ministry for a while. I worked in administration at a large retirement community facility. I've done retail management. I have taught knitting and crochet classes professionally um so i've i've kind of done a wide variety of things yeah when did you go to seminary i think was there overlap for us but i don't remember Um, well i'm now on my third round of seminary because i'm a real glutton for punishment (laughs) (laughs) um i graduated with my mdiv in 2014 i graduated with my uh, thm that's a master's of theology in 2016 and then just this past january started my doctorate of ministry program 
So, so you obtained two degrees in the amount of time it took me to get one. That's great. Thank, thank you for that. That's <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, if it makes you feel better, it took me 14 years to get my bachelor's degree. I dropped out of college like three times. So, getting two bachelors in five years, I did to kind of make up for lost time. I think <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. What What was the second master's for? Like, what was the the idea behind getting the the th- master's of theology? I wasn't masters of to most people masters of divinity is what you need for the ordination. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and masters of divinity is kind of like the professional degree, and mm-hmm. the masters of theology is more of an academic degree. Um, it's kind of the difference between a doctorate of ministry being a more professional degree and a, a PhD or a PhD. THD mm-hmm. being an academic degree. And it was really just exploring was academia more the route I wanted to go, or oh, okay. um, did I want to stay more in the parish? Um, and I just really, did you do this concurrently at all or you did the MDiv and then started the, I rolled straight into the THM from the MDiv. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I just love being in the church. Mm. So two churches, so two, much so or you, two. Yeah, you got, you yeah. got to do it too. Yeah. Exponential ministry. Yeah. All right. So we have our rapid fire questions and I think we can get them pretty rapidly. I was gonna say, actually, thus uh, far they have never been rapid. Nothing about yeah, this but is we're, rapid. We've only but done, we've only done this first one three times. This will be the third time we've done it. And I think we can do it. Get, well, I, we kind of redid with Jimmy cause we were relearning. Okay. What is your Enneagram number? I am a seven with a very strong eight wing. Very strong uh, yeah. eight wing. Interesting. Okay. What's that? What's that mean to you? How's that manifest? Um, it, uh, most, well, it often manifests with my children. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I am not prepared to put up with anybody's BS under any circumstances. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's See, that's, the title for the eight wing? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember. I know the seven is the enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a nine with a sometimes eight wing. I, yeah, that's fun. It's interesting to have the same wing from those two different sides of it, though, because, like, I'm always mad yeah. at people, but I won't do anything about it. Nice. Nice, yeah. yeah. That's good. What is your Myers-Briggs? ENFJ. Excellent. Pretty. Excellent. We're, we're both ENFPs, so that... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm an... Interesting. I'm an INFP. Oh, I, sorry, INFP. So uh, what is your Hogwarts house? Gryffindor. Nice. Did you? Is that the official, or is that you, you self-selected on the sorting hat? Oh, that is that is official. That's the official. That is official. Yeah. yeah, I know everyone in my household. Actually, we are two Ravenclaws and two Gryffindors. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is there a concert that you wish you could travel back in time to see happen live? Okay, so have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie? I have not yet. I'm a horrible musician. <laughs> Dude, come on. I know. So <laughs> there's there's the the um the concert that's kind of like the linchpin of the whole you know the whole the whole movie and that uh i think that one would have been freaking amazing yeah Yeah, i think it's called live aid yeah the live aid concert yeah there's a uh they there's an extended cut that they did which is basically the full like 15 minute 20 minute performance of like that they did it shot for shot and you can see it on youtube where they like put the movie beside Mm -hmm. the actual footage of the live aid uh concert is pretty it's pretty impressive what they're able to do it's eerie how close they got Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Favorite superhero? I'm going to go old school and say Wonder Woman. Like the original girl power. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, so are you thinking the TV show or the comic? Like what's your point of reference for Wonder Woman? Uh, so, well, my first experience with Wonder Woman would be the TV show. Yeah. Uh, favorite Beetle? Ringo. <laughs> Fantastic answer. 
I think we've decided. I think we figured out that that's the right answer to what your favorite Beatle is. It, if there is obviously. a right answer, it yeah. really is. I mean, everybody focuses in on the John and Paul debate. George is a sleeper, but Ringo's the yeah. right answer. Yeah. 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 Uh, favorite Muppet? Gonzo. Gonzo. Yeah. Is there Hands another? Down. Is there another answer? Absolutely not. Yeah, no, like... Well, S- Scott went Sesame Street last week with Grover, which oh. was... That was a good one. That's I hadn't deep, thought, yeah. And Grover's certainly a Muppet. Yeah. Like, it's... it's There's no question. Yeah. And uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that someone would jump right to Sesame Street, but that's that's a good one. But Gonzo, Gonzo's pretty solid. Yeah. Jay, what's yours? We haven't answered that question for that's us. That's what I was going to say. I was try- uh, I'm literally trying to think if there's anybody that can unsee Gonzo. I mean, Kermit. <laughs> Kermit, but like... Uh, that's like picking John Lennon, though. Yeah, that's true. I, I would. I mean, I think the Ringo choice though is Fozzie. That's I was gonna say. That's uh, ironic because Fozzie is a good choice and in line with Ringo. I might be able to make an argument for Animal, only because he makes a cool T-shirt. Yeah. But in terms of just straight personality, it's Gonzo. Yeah. I think if you were going almost exclusively on the Muppet Christmas Carol, you could make a strong call for Rizzo. <gasps> yes. Oh yeah. Yes. pretty great. He's great in Muppets Take Manhattan as well, but he's highly featured in Muppets Christmas Carol, which is, he's fantastic in that. There's also Pepe the Shrimp, who does not get nearly enough of the limelight. Yeah. 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 He is a later addition. Like, he is a kind yeah. of uh, Muppets in space uh, and thereon yeah. kind of thing. But he's pretty great. Uh, your favorite SNL cast member of all time? Kate McKinnon. Ooh, Kate McKinnon. One so of the I, most versatile comedians that has ever been on that show. I was going to say, I'm not going to disagree with you, but she's better than everybody previous. I like her better than everyone previous. Hmm. Let's let's say it that way. Yeah. 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 Well, and it honors the favorite versus best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the, exactly. the nature of the question is favorite. I, have you, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent episodes, like the quarantine <laughs> Saturday Night Lives, but... She has so many, uh, everyone's filming their sketches from where they live. Mm-hmm. And so many people surprisingly live in houses, which I like, not that I didn't think they could afford houses, but being that they film out of uh, New York City, uh, a lot of them have that. Kate McKinnon straight up is just in like a one or two bedroom apartment, oh, just just with her cat. <laughs> and so she has uh, a number of her sketches feature heavily her cat. And it's really, really funny. That's kind of amazing. The only The only quarantine SNL skit, I've seen so far is the uh, Zoom Church, which is yep, yep, spot on, <laughs> spot on. It's so accurate; it kind of hurts a little bit, you know. It is, it's <laughs> con- it's almost painful to watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your go-to character in Super Smash Brothers and/or Mario Kart as a former youth pastor. I assume there's a correct answer to this too. Uh, Yoshi is okay. the correct answer. Now that said, um, my my son is upset, my 11 year old, that I don't like Super Smash Brothers. Because I, it like I can't follow what's happening well enough. I have no idea what any of the buttons do, um, but Mario Kart I can it's still crush them measure. all at. That's exactly right. I, if when our youth group plays it, I, I call it aggressive button hitting for twenty minutes, yeah. and then I wonder who won. You know. Well, and the thing, yeah, the thing about Super Smash Bros. Two is it is a button masher for like all you gotta do is just like slam the controller, but then every once in a while you'll get that one kid who knows exactly what everything does, and it's no fun playing with them. No. Like the vast, probably ninety percent of the people are just smashing buttons when they're playing Super. Like the smash in the Smash Bros. is the buttons that yes. you're hitting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but every once in a while you will get someone who like knows exactly. Like I'm gonna do this move and that move, and it's 
it's it's no fun dancing no. or playing with that person. No. Don't be that kid, boys and girls. Don't be that kid. <laughs> Don't be that kid. <laughs> a band or musical liking you inherited from your parents? The Monkees. Oh, the Monkees are a great band. The Monkees are a great band. Yeah. Yeah, you can't Like way better. They're not just a spoof band like that or like a pretend band like they I always thought they were a joke because that's what I was told. But then you listen to their songs. They're, they're real solid. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what makes that that even better. Yeah. 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 It was a fun show, too. Oh especially gosh. for a kid. Like it was on Nick at Night when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And boy, that was a, that was a fun one. Your favorite Bible story or character? My absolute all-time favorite Bible story ever is the one where Elisha's walking along the road and these teenagers, these young people come out of nowhere and they start teasing him and mocking him and calling him, hey, you old bald head. And he calls down a she bear that comes down and eats them. And that is so amazing. And why is that even in there? Like who wrote that down with all this other profound stuff and was like, you know what, kids, do not make fun of of your elders people. <laughs> or they'll call down a bear to, to eat you. Um, so, and it never comes up in the lectionary, much to my great dismay. I'm going to have to do a sermon series on that story sometime. I really want to hear somebody like take that passage seriously, like really do some exegete, like try to find good news in that story. Yeah. Where is God in that Bible story? Yeah. yeah. I want to like, yeah. And I just, I love thinking about how that got in there. I I would like longtime listeners of the Roughing the Pastor podcast to know that Carissa and I did not talk about that beforehand because that <laughs> has been my answer. For Jay long. loves that. Jay oh, loves that story. Yeah. So good. So and good. and a close second is when Paul is preaching for so long, some guy falls asleep and falls out the window. <laughs> he literally bores somebody to death. That's the best thing. <laughs> and then he's like, "Wait, hang on, guys." He goes downstairs. He raises the guy up. You know, heals him, and then goes back upstairs and finishes his sermon. Like, rock on, I brother. Would- I always imagine he does that very sheepishly. Yeah. Like if you broke something and then you're like, oh, no, it's okay. Look, everybody. It's fine. Like, I think it just goes down to like heals him real quick. He's like, no, he's fine. And he says he wants to hear the end of the sermon. Yeah. Let's all go. <laughs> he wants to hear that third final point. <laughs> all right, guys, let's take a five. I'll be right back. Uh, let me go collect something <laughs> from down the street. Oh. oh, man. Your favorite sport to play slash favorite sport to watch. For anyone who knows me well, this probably won't come as a surprise, but that would be CrossFit. Um, mm. I l- oh, we're going to CrossFit as a sport. It, they have. There's a whole. It's the CrossFit Games is a thing, buddy. It's like on TV and everything. I'm not saying it's not competitive, yeah. but there's there's chess too. But I don't think we call that a, a chess, sport. No, chess is not a sport. Obviously, no. I know, but it's, <laughs> it's there's chess game. competitions that are on TV. Well, th- it doesn't have to. <laughs> Just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's a sport. The Office isn't a sport. Is, well, I mean, it could be depending. Is there on how a problem it. if it's not a sport though? What's that? This is an honest. This is an how honest. Is it, not, how do you not argue totally it's question. not a sport though? Well, that's how I was going to say. I think it's a competitive. I would say cheerleading is not a sport either, but it's an athletic competition. I think there's a difference between athletic competition and sport. I, this is semantics, though. I might disagree in that. So the the you think cheerleading is a sport? I do. Having I, I, I think, think I would go with that as well. Yeah, it's yeah. as much a sport is, as is like, like rock climbing a sport. Yes, yes, rock climbing is a sport. Golf is not. But you, what are you competing <laughs> against? That's that's the tipping point for me. Like chess, obviously a game. Uh, baseball, how do you obviously win, a sport. How do you win rock climbing? Dude, there's, there's a competitions. Point system. Yeah. There's a point system in competitions. There's competitions, but that's different than being a sport. Because, there, again, there's chess competitions. Right. First of all, I think sport involves team. Is You're, band a sport? No. No. <laughs> Why? Why is band well, not a sport? You could almost make an argument for marching band. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Why, oh, okay. why is that not a sport? What, uh, well, do you, 
nutrition doesn't matter for marching band. Oh yeah, it does. Wow. does it? A, I wasn't. A, I I was a vocalist. On a I did show choir, level? which is a sport. Yeah. It's not actually. No, it's not. But so my my big my the uh, uh, we don't have to belabor this. But my big point is like, what's wrong with not calling it a sport? Not calling it a sport doesn't invalidate oh. it. it. I mean, it doesn't have to invalidate it. So I think CrossFit is incredibly intense. And actually, at some point, I think we need to do a gospel of CrossFit or theology of CrossFit with you and Rebecca because I need someone to give me the not proselytize for it, but I want to hear what's so great about it because I'm anti working out much to my body's dismay. I could I could come around to marching band as a sport based on the definition, uh, an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. I like that definition. And in the general CrossFit, though, you're, CrossFit, I think, is more akin to, not to besmirch it, but more akin to golf in that you're competing against yourself. Well, not when, not when it. I'm not con- for the games. competitions. Yeah. But but is the do you do CrossFit for the competitions or you do CrossFit for your per- like the goal of CrossFit? If you don't do the competitions, do you feel like you haven't CrossFit? Well, that's well, that's a great question. So um, I am a seven. So since there's competitions, I do them. <laughs> 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 but most of it, you're competing against yourself, right? Not at competitions, no. Do you? Is, so is your is the main thrust behind your CrossFit uh, motivation to get in shape for the competitions or for the the daily kind of trying to beat yourself? Um, for it's a weird mix of both, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you have to get better than yourself to do better in the competitions. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Like that's even that like the individual motivation kind of goes outside the sport versus game debate because like is cycling a sport? Absolutely. Am I using it as a sport the way I do it? No. I do like two races a year and come in dead last every time. Like I'm not, I'm doing cycling to better myself. That doesn't take away from the idea that cycling in and of itself is a sport. I think again, and this is semantics, I think that people get too sensitive about by saying something's not a sport or saying that you're not an athlete or it's not competitive or not. Uh, I I don't think chess is a sport. I also don't think marching band's a sport. I think both of those require incredible stuff. So me saying CrossFit is not a sport is not to besmirch CrossFit, but I think sport to me is more team oriented and uh, especially like the, the more the individual, the more the event is about individual accomplishment, the less it becomes a sport. I think even figure skating, it's hard. That's an athletic event to say that's a sport. Gymnastics say that's a sport. That's, that's my my pushback is that it the team the sport seems to be more about the team and which is where marching band would fit more into that but not according not to the oxford dictionary anyway uh <laughs> last movie that you watched harriet just watched it last night for the second time because my spouse had not seen it yet hmm. excellent okay. movie i was gonna say i would have something to say about that but i've seen like two movies and both of them were <laughs> marvel uh farthest <laughs> from your house that you've ever been on the planet uh, Kampala, Uganda. Ooh. Oh, what were you there for? Um, so I had been in Rwanda with Presbyterian Peacemaking for a uh, um, travel study seminar. And we have friends who are doing justice and mission work in Kampala. So I was like, well, I'm going to be next door. So my family flew out and met me in Rwanda. And we went over and visited with our friends and did some guerrilla tracking and safariing and camping out with hippos. And uh, it was pretty awesome. I think any time that you can actually say i have been gorilla tracking you win at life like that's a sentence that so few humans can actually put out there 
My uh, my daughter, who was 12 at the time, and I actually got charged by a silverback gorilla. And being a seven, that was like one of the best moments of my entire life. <laughs> That's awesome. Just being able to say that I, my daughter and I were charged by a silverback gorilla is, yeah. Was your daughter as into it as you were? Um, yes. She, okay. yeah. Um, she handled it with a little bit more decorum than I did. If you watch the video, like you were watching like this little baby. We didn't even realize the big one was over there. And then you just hear this horrible sound and crashing through the bushes. And uh, my video camera just kind of goes up to the sky, down to my feet, like trying to figure out what to do. And uh, then you just hear me whisper, Gloria, did you just pee your pants a little bit too? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, favorite smell? Favorite smell would be anything with garlic in it cooking. Ooh, ooh. They don't make that in a candle, though. <laughs> uh, what, did you, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? A dump truck driver. Oh. I was a weird kid, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what? So we made it through those rapid fire questions. That was the fastest we've ever done it. That was, yeah. that was yeah. great. Yes. Yeah. Was, so was stifled. it a sport then? Or that just was a, a competition. Th- that's that's the question. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This whole podcast is a sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we realized one one of the things uh, 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 as we were thinking of topics for uh, future shows. One of the comments that we had from a uh, recent guest and friend of the show, Mr. Carl Anderson, was you should do an episode where you talk about what you like about the church because you guys seem to be talking. <laughs> She'd be real good at pointing out things that you don't like about the church, which is not really our goal. But uh, I found that um, I think in life, sometimes we can be the most critical of the things that we love. Um, Hence why people get so fiery about Star Wars or things like that. Like fandom uh, is built on the idea of being really emotionally connected to something and being really critical. We we tend to not be critical about things we don't care about. Um, I don't have real strong opinions on tennis or things like that uh, or golf like or NASCAR yeah. uh, those are just things that are superfluous to me to continue on with the sport competition theme that we've been going with so far <laughs> and so as we were, we were talking about that and we thought you know who would be great for this uh, part of this conversation one because I know that she is someone who also loves the church uh, but n- not um, myopically like who also is kind of a dreamer of it and is the moderator of uh of the presbytery so great at moderating uh conversations such a polity Uh, nerd (laughs) that's what it comes down to carissa uh, so what are what why is the church good or is it is the church good oh why should we care about the church just putting that out there just dropping that little uh um it's so funny for for me personally the church has been both the center of some of the deepest wounding in my life um, and also the place where the pieces have been picked back up and put together again and so i think that the answer to the question is that the church is both good and terrible and um, just like anything else in life and in this broken sinful world Um, We need to find a way to be able to say these things are broken, these things are hurting people, but also then to um, find the good and point out the the goodness in it. Point out things like 
um, you know, little old ladies who are stuck in quarantine and even more isolated than normal are being called and checked in on, even if they don't have family nearby, uh, because they have a church family that's that's checking in and, and loving them. Um, you know, so um, I think that the answer is way more complicated than just is the church good or not. As you know, I mean, we, we come across, I don't know how many people that have been deeply wounded by the church before and leave. Uh, and, and you are someone that, is, I mean, objectively to pastor two churches at the same time, you must be in it to win it. Like you must love the work and love the church. What what keeps you coming back in spite of whatever wounds might have existed before or still exist? Uh, this is going to sound like a real cop out answer, but no matter how hard I try to get away from it, I can't. Um, God just grabs me by the back of the neck and drags me back in, um, in, in some way or another, um, regardless of, of how, how hard I try to run from it. Um, and I think that I don't know the answer to why some people walk away after that wounding and don't come back. And others of us are so compelled to stick around regardless um, you know, even in, and, and I'm sure you both experience this as well as pastors, you know, you have those highs and lows between getting those phone calls and getting off the phone and going, these people are driving me insane. Why can't they get it? And then, you know, two days later, you'll have a session meeting where your elders are just like dropping the mic left and right and have clearly like been doing their homework and um, listening to God. And so... You know, um, it's a wild ride, and there's there's days where you just want to say I'm out, <laughs> and uh, then there's days where you can't imagine being anywhere else. And I, I think that um, it's helpful for me to, and this might be the Enneagram Seven talking right now, but to hold on to those moments where they're just like the most awesome, incredible people, yeah. and they deserve every ounce of love I have to give them. What this is a a question. I mean, the the topic is why do you love the church, not why do you love being a pastor. But I think this is part of it. What do you love most about pastoral ministry? Like, where where do you feel most alive in the work? I really love worship, um, and um, even now when we're not worshiping in person, nor will we be probably for a while. I'm still enjoying the challenge of figuring out how to creatively worship together. I'm a, I'm a musician, you know, I'm a vocalist. Um, so I love, I just love that. Uh, I love liturgy, putting the words together, putting the music together. So that's one of the things that certainly gives me life. Um, and just um, seeing relationships grow and change and build and, and the ways that people um, can support one another, you know, helping people listen to one another's stories. Uh, you don't really have to get into it as much as, uh, get into it as much as you want. Um, but you, you're a pastor's kid, right? Yes. So, how, I mean, like, again, you can be as general as you want, but how was that being a pastor's kid and having this kind of like hurt by the church, helped by the church? Like, and then how, especially becoming a pastor, because I, so many of the pastor's kids that I know, I was a pastor's kid, uh, don't want to become pastors. And yet a lot of them do. How long, how long is this podcast? As long as <laughs> you <know. laughs> You got like three hours now, right? Um, 
uh, growing up in the church, I do believe is a large part of why I'm still in the church. Um, the, I mean, I'm <laughs> my my husband is someone I met when I was four years old, and my dad became the pastor of the church his dad was the organist at. So um, that's how Presbyterian we are. And uh, so, and the church that I primarily grew up in, which was not actually that church, um, I still have lots of fond memories from, just did a virtual special music with my childhood choir director from that, that church, you know. Um, and there was, there was something about having that like extended family around us, even though we were geographically away from our bi- biological uh, extended family. Uh, just being nurtured by a wide, uh, diverse group of people in that way was really um, important and um, home building, if that makes sense. Um, weird word choice, but that feels right. Um, but then when I was a teenager, um, my family fell apart. My, my dad um, came out of the closet in the mid-90s, which was a bad time to do so. <laughs> We, we were in a small town in Kansas, so there was like small town scandal and mm. um, lots of broken relationship um, with, with those very people that had helped nurture my sister and I um, from the time we were children. And the church handled it badly. Hmm. Um, the denomination handled it badly. Uh, my father handled it badly. Uh, my mom didn't handle it so hot. Um, not that, you know, <laughs> she should have been prepared to or anything. Um, so it was just a big mess um that caused a lot of a lot of deep wounding um and how old were you i was 16 so like the worst possible (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) like 16 year olds have enough garbage that they're dealing with to begin with then you you throw that on top of everything else so um yeah but i also think that that um changed the kind of pastor that i am today Mm -hmm. too um in a huge way um, so, um, and then, uh, later on down the road, um, during my first marriage, I got married when I was 20, which was stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> um, and, and that was an abusive marriage. And I was told by the pastor of my church at the time, not a PCUSA church, not throwing anybody under the bus, <laughs> uh, basically told me to be a better wife. Um, and so, and, and, you know, again, in my very early twenties, you know, that's another really formative time in your life, um, to be wounded so greatly. Hmm. Um, and then wound up by some weird fluke working, um, in administration in a youth ministry office at a large church and, uh, found so much healing and acceptance and so much of Christ's love in that place. Um, so um, that's kind of like the the nutshell of the journey. And um, I wound up in seminary, actually, because I decided I was too old for a youth ministry. Like, there's only so <laughs> long you can sleep on the floor. Sleep is Reach like a... it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you just, you can't... There comes a point where you're just too old for that anymore. And I still love teenagers. I still love working with teens and, and young adults. But I'm not running the lock-in or the youth mission trip, forget it. Um, and so I went back to seminary to kind of explore, well, what's what's going to be next for me? And in the course of my field education experience in a small church, kind of came back to that uh, 
remembering of how formative that was for me as a person growing up and how much I really just love that sense of community and fellowship. And I was sold. Hmm. How much has your past experience informed your, uh, your desire to be a leader and the kind of the ways in which you approach stuff within uh, now that you are guiding congregations? I don't think it ever occurred to me to be a pastor. <laughs> it de definitely didn't as a kid. Um, I'd always felt fascinated by missionaries and the idea of doing mission work, um, but have never been in a life circumstance where I can pick up and move around the world somewhere. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget that right before I started seminary, I was looking at, well, should I bother with ordination track or just go to seminary? And so I sat down with my, um, my pastor at the time, who's still, I consider my pastor and mentor and one of my dearest friends. And we sat down for, for coffee and we were talking about it. And he very cleverly appealed to my pragmatic side and said, well, it's easier to start ordination track and drop out later than to start late. I was like, good advice and, and did it. And, you know, to this day, he's like, well, I knew you were going to be a pastor. I always saw that <laughs> in you. I was like, I don't know how, because it never occurred to me until I, like I said, was in my, my field education. And I'd never had a female pastor as a role model for me either. I don't think I'd ever met a female pastor. You know, I'd like seen some episodes of the Vicar of Dibley, right? Um, and that was my <laughs> kind of my guideline uh, until my, my field education experience and realized, oh, wait, we can do this really well and from a very different um, background and perspective. So, um, yeah, and I think maybe that um, the fascination with or, or dwelling on like the idea of, of mission work has changed the way I see my job as a pastor um, especially now as this is going to sound kind of cliche but as our culture becomes less and less Christian even though there are louder and louder people saying we need to be a Christian nation that's not what they're <laughs> pushing for <laughs> um, so I think that, um, that we need to see our job as um mission mm -hmm. and not just as maintaining the status quo. Mm -hmm. I, I think this pandemic has done something beautiful to the church. Yeah, it has. Um, the, the, the status quo is off the table um, in so many ways. And, and some pastors kicking and screaming, some of us really excited about it, have to reinvent what the mission is. Uh, well, not reinvent what the mission is, reinvent how we live into it. Well, and reorient ourselves toward that mission. Yeah. I think that the the reason, like, you see so many people kicking and screaming to get back to in-person worship because they don't, we don't know how to do the church if we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. But if that's what doing the church is, if it's just in-person worship, there's nothing, we talked about this before, there's nothing in Scripture that, that defines the job of the body of Christ, the job of the church, as meeting together once a week to look to face the same direction and hear someone tell you about the Bible. Like, that... That's it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but that is absolutely not our main purpose. Right. But we don't know how to do what the church is if it's not doing that. Hey, what an exciting time to be preaching a Pentecost sermon, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, essentially, I think we're just being reminded again and again, and I think this is part of why, this is all of a piece uh, of what we're, we're talking about. Why I love the church is because we're in the people business. Um, you know, there's no other profession I can think of where we as pastors are involved in every aspect of a human life 
from literally birth all the way to the grave. Uh, there's so few places that we are not welcomed into, in fact, invited into in a person's life. Um, so, of course, there are the wounding bits, right? <laughs> there, there, there are the ugly stuff. There, there, there is the, the negative, the sinful side of humanity. But there's all the good stuff that comes with it too, right? And that's, I don't know, I've been finding myself, I am like phone-averse in, in the normal world, but a phone call goes way farther now than it ever did. Uh, to, to call the folks that can't Zoom or, or get on YouTube and, and say, how you doing? What, what's, what's going on in the world? Means so much more than it did three months ago. And I, I think, again, that's just kind of pointing back to we're in the people business. <laughs> you know, like we, we, it's our job to create connection and, and relationships and point those towards Jesus. So what, I mean, with, the, with that in mind, I think the, the culminating question is, what does the church do well? What does the church do that, that other things can't do? Because I think, I mean, I would say you're onto it, Jake, that I would, like, I think the church is about relationships. The problem that I see is that we've lost who we are because we're trying to be something else. Mm-hmm. We want to be the best concert hall and have, have like, concert-level music. We want to be the best food program and provide food kitchens and, I mean, uh, soup kitchens and uh, and shelter and stuff like that. And all of these are good things. So mm-hmm. none of these are bad, but that's not our main purpose. So what can we do? What can the church do that other people can't? And I think if we can't answer that question, then maybe the church doesn't need to be here. So that's a pretty big question. <laughs> yeah. My quick answer to it, because uh, I didn't want to uh, ask a question without an answer, is I think that in general, we're here for relationships and we're here for hope. That's we can pro- and, and, and meaning. Like we can provide hope, meaning, and relationship in ways that are different than the rest of our, the way our culture is set up. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, hope was my answer. And it's such a, it, it can be turned into such a cheesy answer. And I, I lately, again, since the pandemic, have been on like the lookout for, for like dollar bin hope. Like optimism <laughs> is not hope. Um, you know, a, a quick press release is not hope. Uh, a, a political party is not hope. Um, Pro- promise that we can meet together without being bound by the numbers of people in the room. It's not, not hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hope. That's that's the opposite of hope. For yeah. me. When I, when I first got into like cycling with any kind of regularity, a friend of mine, when I was complaining about how expensive everything was, said, "Buy it once and buy it right. Uh, don't mm-hmm. settle for the cheap stuff." And and that is so accurate when it comes to hope. It's not even funny that, that hmm. I think. And again, the pandemic's doing us a service in showing people how flimsy the imitation hope really is. Uh, our hope is built on Jesus Christ. Anything less than that. Nothing less. It, it, we're in trouble. And and this is exposing all those fissures in a deep, deep way. Um, so I think it's our turn to reclaim, you know, what's it say in, in second Peter, first Peter, uh, always be ready to defend the hope. Can you defend hope in a pandemic? I hope so. I love that one too, because it's, it's not always go around telling people, about the hope you profess. It's always be prepared to give a reason for. And even the word defend, I think, is a little hard because uh, people take defense and then they have to debate it. But the the real kind of the sentiment of that is always prepared to give a reason for the hope you profess to those who ask you. Yeah. Like that whole passage is important. So when someone says, why should the church exist? You should have already thought about that. Yeah. And if we as a church don't know why, if we can't explain it to ourselves, then boy, we can't explain it to other people. And if there's no reason why the church should be here other than because the church has always been here, uh, then that's a pretty lousy reason. That's a one of the big conversations that I've been having with the folks at my two congregations as we kind of explore what future looks like. We've been doing this for the past couple of years, even before 
the pandemic. We've been talking about why are we here? What is our purpose? If, you know, if we disappear from the community, so what? What, you know, who's going to notice what's going to be missing? And I'm glad that we started doing that work before this because it's made that transition so much easier. That's one of the places that we're seeing a lot of churches flounder right now, right? Is this idea of suddenly, you know, if Sunday morning is the big shebang for you and you can't gather for Sunday morning, what do you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are really important things to be, to be talking about as church. Yeah. That's, I mean, I mean, my favorite, uh, again, centering in on that question, what do you love about church? I, I was going to say earlier, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is be in a hospital room with somebody that's dying, mm-hmm. which is such a weird thing to say. But every pastor, you both just did it. Every pastor I say it to does the yep nod because it's lived hope. It's it's seeing years and years of somebody learning what hoping in Christ looks like pay off. Uh, and what holy ground it can be to stand in that moment and, and, and to even just share in it. Like, I almost never say anything. You don't need to say anything. You just need to be there. Um, but I think to see that hope live itself out on a person, it's just, it's one of the best things in the world. I mean, how many places are there where everybody matters? Hmm. And that's not lived out in every congregation. No. For sure. But, you know, we see that in Scripture. That that's one of the the big points of hope we see in scripture is that everybody matters, regardless of how small or pushed to the edges you are. And uh, that's such a beautiful thing. Well, because everyone doesn't matter to the world. (laughs) No. And it's so hard within the church too, because everyone doesn't matter to the world that there's so much so much of the world that the corruption of the world in the church is not rock music or, or television or things like that. It's the sense that people, certain people matter more. Mm-hmm. And when we get hierarchies in the church, even if it's just these kids are running around the sanctuary and they really need to be quiet like that, um, that's when the church becomes the most damaging is the one thing that we should be really good at in that saying like, here there's no Christ, no Greek, nor male, nor female, Jew, nor Gentile, like that. That reality is so beautiful and it's so easy not to do that because no one really expects us to do that and so we easily fall into that and that's when the church destroys people yeah and that to that point you know that uh, uh, will the church ever get there or do congregations live that out well no but i feel like a dog chasing a car on that one i will chase mm-hmm. that car forever and i may never <laughs> catch it um, but I long for the community where everybody matters, uh, where oh, everybody's yeah. on equal footing, and, and I will chase that car till I, the legs fall off, man. That's been one of the things that I've appreciated the most about, uh, I mean, we talked about before the death of Christendom, which I think it, it's a, maybe a hyperbolic statement, but this, this sense of the end of this Christian empire, uh, the, the false kind of narrative of the Christian empire, that we need to conquer the world for God, um, it takes away nominal de facto status quo Christianity, and we get more and more people in churches who are longing for a community where everyone is, everyone's equal, where where the, where everyone matters. Um, and as we as we see the crumbling of the institutional church, that doesn't mean the church is going away. It's just this veil of Christendom is going away. And so it gives the, there's greater intentionality for people coming to the church who really long for what Jesus says to be true. And it allows us more opportunities to say, yeah, there was a bunch of stuff we did pretty bad, but 
that's it wasn't consistent with really what Jesus was asking us to do. And if we recenter, we don't have to reinvent who we are. We just need to reorient ourselves back to what we are supposed to be. I find this time in history really exciting for the church. It's a really exciting time to be in church leadership, um, especially, um, you know, like our age bracket, right? Um, This, you know, Gen X coming into our own, um, not, not ready to retire, right? We still have a good, you know, 20 years ahead of us or so. And proper, I like to call it proper middle age. Prop, yes, yeah. Yeah, because um, we probably get, if we get twice as much life as what we've already had, then we're, we're pretty good. Yeah. But, I mean, I'd like to go a little longer than that, but we're pretty good. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, and we've got enough life experience under our belts too, though, you know, that we've, we've seen, like we grew up in the church that was, eh, right? <laughs> and, uh, about pretty much everything. And, and now the rug has been pulled out from under the church. Uh, and that's a good thing and mm-hmm. that's an exciting thing. And it's something that, that I, I think we need to embrace and just <clears throat> run with it. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I think, you know, again, Carl kind of asked us to explore this topic because sometimes there's a lot of brush clearing that comes with that, right? We have to clear out some of the old stuff and that can sound like we're attacking the church or we're negative towards the church or no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I am so excited about this particular time in world history to be the church. Like, I think we are on the verge of something. Um, and and maybe it's a return to something, maybe it's an invention of something new, but I I am just pumped to play a part in what it looks like to shape that. Um, which again, comes with some brush clearing. We're going to have to get rid of some old systems and some old failure points and some old ideas, but there's new stuff right behind it to, to replace it. That's just really exciting. Well, and I think that that, the uh, coming to terms with, especially, I mean, talking about generationally where we are, uh, and especially like Chris, you and I, I think, are the same age, and Jay's just a couple years younger. Uh, the uh, but we're all in that same wheelhouse of uh, we've been in it long enough to kind of see how it's going, but we're old enough that we're kind of the transition to whatever is going to come next. Like that, and, and being okay, and actually being excited with the fact that. Uh, we are not going to be the generation that that leads this new church. Mm-hmm. We are the generation that fosters, that that kind of shepherds the institutional church into whatever this new church is. That this transition of time, which I mean, it may take even longer than this generation, but we're at the forefront of that change, where the change is no longer deniable, um, and we have the energy that we're still going to be around for a while to kind of see it. But by the time it really takes hold, the people that are going to be shaping what that new church is are not us. Which is consistent with like we're we're kind of Gen X, but we're kind of millenn- like we're like right at the mm-hmm. we can speak Gen X, but we can also speak millennial. But both of them don't make sense to us <laughs> on certain levels. Uh, and I, I think that 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 to me is one of the most exciting things is knowing that the church is alive and not a thing to be protected, but a body of Christ that is doing new things and continues to speak and have relevance even beyond me that even as the church doesn't need me anymore, uh, it will be doing things that are far greater than I can imagine, which is pretty exciting. And I think we've got a lot of great scriptural promise that shows yeah. that too. Yeah. You know, Moses didn't see the promised land. Uh, yeah. Abraham did not see all of those generations of of offspring that he was promised. And yet those they, that came to fruition. Mm-hmm. Well, even the disciples, they, I mean, they see the risen Christ, but they think like, 
well, so everything's going to be restored now. Right. And then Jesus leaves, which is like that. That's what I love about the Ascension stories. They're like, this is going to be great. And then Jesus leaves like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> what is that about? No, you're supposed to do it and we'll just watch you. And so now Jesus is, and especially with Pentecost, which is coming out this week, is like the Holy Spirit saying, no, you're going to be the ones doing this. But I, uh, but you're going to be empowered through the Spirit and that God's going to be with us and working through us. But that uh, to be in this unknown nebulous time is scary but it's exciting because what we have been yeah. is not what we should have been. And so, I mean, it was kind of a, it was a plastic version of what the church should be, but now we can break out of that and be, be something different. Well, Carissa, I, I mean, I, you might get an eye roll out of this, but uh, last night, I don't know what possessed me. I started watching old Andrew Purvis sermons again. Yes. <laughs> just, just for good. Okay. The his, wife, like, his wife is that field ed supervisor who was so integral uh, to my, my formation. So I know Andrew Purvis Andrew and Purvis, his sermons former, quite former, well. Former preaching preaching professor? No, PTS? pastoral is theology. theology. Yeah. Pastoral theology mm-hmm. professor at PVS or PTS, P- Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, which I did not go to, but the other two do. So I don't, I don't know Purvis. Perfect. I only know him and I only know Purvis in name. Oh, man. Well, it, it's a seminary. You either loved him or you hated him, it seemed like. And I was definitely in the love him camp. Uh, he has just bottled Scotland, if you listen to him speak. At first, I think we tuned in. He was, to, he was a Scottish man, right? Yeah, he like was. Had a Scottish accent. Yeah. Sounded yeah. like Scrooge McDuck. Oh, totally. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, he he had a theme, and he kept coming back to it. Again, I watched like two or three sermons last night. Jesus runs the church, not us. Uh, yeah. Our job is to, at best, participate in what Jesus is already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not up to me to grow the church. It's not up to me to uh, fix what's broken. It's not up to me no. to do any of that no. stuff. It's up to me to point to Christ in yes. ways that are vibrant and, and illustrative for the current culture, which, again, I think— might be easier now than it has been in a long, long time. Yep. I think that that God is my co-pilot theology has been shown to be false and stupid because it's really saying, I'm the one driving the car and God's just telling me how to get there. Like that, no, that is such a dumb theology and it fails. Like that so much of the problems in the church have come from that type of theology. Yeah. And it's not God is my co-pilot. It's I'm the baby strapped in the seat and Jesus is driving me around. Town. Like we are, I have such little, I'm participating in what God is doing. I, I don't have, my leadership is to help people see, yeah, that's the voice we should be listening to. Which is very different than saying, hear my voice. It's pretty good. Listen to this one because God appointed me. No one wants to hear my voice. I'm shocked every day that people <laughs> listen to this podcast. It's unbelievable. I like your voice. <laughs> it's very it's buttery smooth. Oh, thanks, Tyler. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why we love the church. Mm-hmm. So, Twitter question for this week. Is CrossFit a sport? Oh, man, you're going to go there. <laughs> You're going to get so much what hate con- mail, man. What <laughs> constitutes a sport? What constitutes a sport? We'll talk more about that. I'm referring I really, my I, entire gym to your Twitter I, feed. I, I honest, <laughs> that sounds great. I honestly want to do a full-on CrossFit, if, you, if you're up for it. I want Because I, I want to hear it all. I don't, want this, like, I don't want someone to try to get me to sign up for a gym, but I want to hear why you love it. I love hearing why people love stuff, and people love CrossFit. But yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm game. All of that to yeah. say. You're a long story yeah. Hey! <laughs> yeah. uh, by the by. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Twitter question for this week: What 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 are some things that you love about the church? Yeah. What what yeah, when totally. what are some and and it doesn't have to. We talk. There's it's so easy to talk about things that are wrong with the church. But what does the church do well? What has the church done well? Why why is it still worth talking about? 
and maybe it's not doing it right now but what 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 did it do as a kid or what have you seen it though like maybe christmas eve is just the one time where it feels like it what is it about that time where everything's clicking where you think this is a good thing i'm glad this is here and i want to be part of it and try and keep that to under what is it now 280 characters you know uh carissa anything to plug Ooh, I get to make a plug. Yeah, yeah, do it. Oh, soft idolatry. If you have like a podcast or something like yeah, that. You know, yeah, yeah. So, if you need uh, another podcast to listen to, uh, listen to Soft Idolatry. Uh, my. Uh, I love that. I love that title. That's so great. <laughs> we <laughs> we spent so much time trying to figure out uh, a good a good podcast uh, title. There, my podcast co-host uh, Reverend Alan Olson is a three. What happens when you put a three and a seven in a room together? A podcast. Uh, so the irony of that though is that you're never in a room together when you do the podcast no that is actually true uh we're rarely (laughs) in a room together because he's in new jersey now so oh man uh yeah so it is a multi-state but you can uh check out information at www.softidolatry.com Oh, they have a website? website? Oh, we don't have a website. Yeah. We have a Facebook page that took us a year to get. <laughs> uh, Rachel, could you get on that? The other thing that happens when you put a three and a seven together is that they put a website up. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you have a couple of nines together, we're like, oh, that'd be a great idea. Maybe we'll do yeah. it one day. I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow. It's <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, what's uh, t- in the in Soft Idolatry, is it like, what's the, what's the, what's the premise of it? We... We are loosely lectionary based. Uh, we go off on sermon series every once in a while, but we sort of, it's uh, almost like a Monday morning uh, sermon backing. Uh, nice. We kind of talk about uh, the lectionary passages from the day before um, and, you know, I where like we that, see though. the themes in the world and what's happening lately. We've been doing a lot of talk about coronavirus recently because <laughs> um, that's a lot of what's happening. Um, but kind of picking up on those themes and exploring it a little bit more informally than in a sermon. It's called soft idolatry because, you know, most of us are not praying to Baal or anything like that these days, but we sure have a lot of idols that are standing in the way of real connection um, and application of scripture in the world around us. And you guys started about like a year ago? Yeah, almost exactly a year ago. I think it was yeah, in so June like, or July. Yeah, because I remember, yeah, that came about right around the same time as, as this one did. So that it's been nice watching them kind of go in concert. Yeah. Anything you watching, listening to, doing? Oh, fun? gosh. Um, I mean, no. There's nothing on TV. They can't make anything right now. Oh, that's true. So, That's yeah. really true. Makes me sad. Good, but watch Harriet, for Pete's sake. Yeah. Yeah. What's it on? What'd you see it on? <laughs> I'll get on uh, I I got it on Amazon. I'm sure it's around other places as well. Okay. Did you rent it or it's like it's there? I bought it because I knew okay. if I watched it once, I was going to watch it yeah. again. And it is not at all what I expected it to be. And it it's was about amazing. Harriet Tubman. Yeah, it is about Harriet Just for Tubman. People who aren't, yes, who heard but it is not about Harriet Tubman in the way I expected it to be at all. And so it's it not is like Harriet so good. Yeah, yeah. It's not and like the, a dry the, documentary or anything like that. Didn't the 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 yeah. woman who plays Harriet also did that song? Did she? I think she sings the song that got nominated for an Oscar. That's badass if that's true. Yeah. Oh, we, uh, I have something else to put. We just started watching something. Oh, the uh, we just started watching a show called Ozarks. Or Ozark. Yeah, it's I on Netflix. That, it's yeah. a bummer. We're only watching bummer shows right now. But uh, we started, and it's really good. It's got Jason Bateman. Uh, and it's, uh, it's like Breaking Bad, but with Jason Bateman. Cool. I got nothing to plug. I've done nothing but work in my basement for, you know, 10 weeks. Do they let you out of the basement? <laughs> Every once <laughs> in a while. Just to shave him. Just they, shave. Yeah, just 
just to light the beard <laughs> on fire and send me back down, you know? All right. Well, cool. Thanks, Carissa, for being with us. This has been wonderful. I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. I've been Carissa. And this has been Rubbing, Rubbing the, the Passer. Thanks, Carissa. You're awesome. It's true. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs>